Welcome to the Money Insights Podcast, where high income earners come to learn wealth building strategies that will take them from high income to high net worth. With your hosts, financial and wealth building experts, Christian Allen and Rod Zabriskie. Welcome into today's episode of the Money Insights Podcast, where we talk all things money and business. My name's Christian Allen. I'm here with the favorite co-host, Rod the Pod Zabriskie. Rod, what is up, man? Hey, I am doing great. And a while ago, it's been probably eight, nine months ago, I talked about our son who decided to join the army. Yep. Okay, so he joined. He he went to basic training and survived. Good. And then he went on to what they call AIT, which is where they do kind of their area-specific stuff. He's been learning how to maintain the Abrams tank, which is pretty cool, by the way. It's not just your run-of-the-mill tank. It has a turbine engine. Is there such a thing as a run-of-the-mill tank? Well, it's a good point. (laughs) It's a fair point. Uh, But this kite takes it to the next level because it's like a a jet engine on a Like a Batmobile uh, in (laughs) combination with tank? Yep, yep, going to combat. So anyway, so that's what he's been doing for since uh, since the beginning of December. And he graduated and he's getting ready to move on to his uh, first post in Texas. Congrats. Nice work. Just taking one obstacle and knocking it out of the park yep, one after another next yeah love it okay well congrats to the zabriskie family for all their success uh yeah. i can never remember which kid parker chase spencer spencer i was gonna say spencer next yep spencer yep. if you ever listen to this spencer i apologize again for the name issue but <laughs> congrats man that's awesome okay rod today's topic is an interesting one. We're gonna we're going to it's life insurance exposed. Yes. Now I'm I'm saying that maybe a tiny bit tongue in cheek, but like not really, because the objective for today is to like really pull back the layers on life mm-hmm. insurance, and we'll get into kind of the reasons why here in just a minute. Before I do that, I just want to say thanks to everybody who participated in our first ever alternative wealth building virtual summit for high income earners. Who I'm getting good at at rattling off it. the full name. Just roll. Um, we might have to like shorten it, and then just like the for high income earners will be like maybe a tagline with it or something. Yeah. Um, but can I just say it? It really turned out great. Um, so thanks everybody who registered and participated. Um, I'm gonna say this, but the the recording, it's been almost a week. It's supposed to be released today. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, anybody listening to this, you definitely should have received it by now. And if for some reason that's not the case, please let us know and we will make sure you get it immediately. Uh, but again, Rod, I thought it was awesome. What were, what, what was your takeaway? Uh, yeah, I thought it came together really well. You always worry about the technology and things like that when, when you're putting on things like this. And I thought that came together well. People showed up. Our presenters were amazing as expected. So I think all in all, it was, it turned out really well. All right. Well, shout out to our marketing team for delivering on the marketing components and then uh, shout out to our speakers for bringing the heat. So yes. that was fun. Okay, Rod. So today back back to our topic, life insurance exposed. So here's the deal. We really want to provide an ultra transparent view of what life insurance is and how it works. And anybody who's talked to us knows or listened to us knows that there are some, maybe maybe you might call them somewhat lofty promises that we make as it relates to 
some of the specific life insurance strategies we teach. Mm -hmm. And I, and I want to say specifically the, the strategies we teach, because when we build the policies, like we are building them uniquely and different. You're not, do, it's not happening the way that you, you would commonly see it happen. So I want to mm -hmm. make sure that that element is there. However, when we break down the costs, which we're going to get into, we're just going to break them down for what they are. And we'll explain how they work across the board. And we're going to get into Rod, not just like the costs and, and opening those up, but we're also going to really dive into how we get to the, the rate of return inside the policy. So mm -hmm. we oftentimes talk about generating this five plus percent return. Well, sometimes it's difficult to see how it gets there, right? So it's yep. nice to hear about. And if I see a basic illustration, I can say like, okay, in year one, this is what's happening in year 20. Okay. And by doing that, I've basically earned a 5% return or whatever. Yeah. But in a given year, a singular year, someone might look at it and be like, what the heck? I'm just not seeing it. Well, here's the deal. Life insurance is complex. It has a lot of moving pieces, but here's the really good news, Rod. We... I should say I am in the presence of a life insurance genius. <laughs> so you get the opportunity to expose life insurance for what it is, both good and bad. What do you think? Uh, I, I'm ready. And I, I basically take what you just said. And often when people ask about costs or when we've explained costs in the past, we'll say something like, you know, the cost in the life insurance are different than maybe what you're used to in your you know, mutual funds or whatever. Um, so let's kind of break it down and say over the life of your policy, you may have like in, in the case of the whole life, the 5.75% uh, that's getting credited every year. In the end, you might get 4.75. So maybe around a 1% net cost because you don't capture the full return. Again, we, we. Yeah. Generalize it. Yeah. Or, or at least try to, to bring it to a place where people can can relate to it in, in yeah, ways that they're already familiar with. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't want to say generalize. We try to simplify it and yeah. again to make it meaningful to an, to the individual. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay. But 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 what we're going to do here is we're going to take it to the next level and say okay, yes, all of those things we said were true. If you end up with that 4.75% net return, you had the 1% overall cost. Okay, but what are those costs? Where are they coming for? And what is the timing? When do I expect to see them? And how do those costs change over time? These are all things we're going to be talking about today. Man, I cannot wait, Rod. I oh, cannot man. wait. Whew. Yeah. Pulling talk back, about, pulling yeah, back the curtains. Sexy and exciting. <laughs> well, here's the deal, though. I, what I'm hoping for this is that this episode serves as a couple of things. One, I wanted to show people how transparent we are as an organization. Mm -hmm. um, we want it to be completely open. And un we want people to understand actually what's happening not just take our word for it because we're you know because rod's so good looking we want to make sure that the reason is because they understand it they feel confident that what we're talking about is going to actually deliver it yeah. so for those reasons we're just going to pull it back and say here's what it is um and can i just tell you i don't think that there's many places that you can go out there and find anything similar to what we're going to be doing here because most people you know, they're kind of taking the approach that it gets a little too complex, too, de too detailed. So let's just kind of avoid it. And we're not going to take that approach today. No. And in fact, one of the thing, one of the challenges that we have is that the insurance companies don't help us in some respects for this. <laughs> right. So for example, what, what you'll see in a minute is with, with IUL, 
when we illustrate IUL, we can break it out and see exactly where, where all the different costs are coming from. But with whole life, they don't do the same thing. When we run an illustration, I, I can't run a cost breakdown of a whole life policy. So what we've had to do is go in and basically reverse engineer it out so you can see where the costs are. Uh, but again, it won't be as detailed on the whole life side as it is on the IUL side. And, and that's just for whatever reason, that's just what the insurance companies, not a insurance company, but all of them across the board have. Yeah, taken that's a great approach. point. And I think part of it is just like set in their ways. So whole life insurance has been around. It's the dinosaur of mm -hmm. life insurance, right? It's been around right. since like the beginning of time, or at least since the beginning of life insurance. It was life the first type time. that existed. Yeah. So it's kind of like there's almost like this element of nostalgia where these insurance companies want to hold on to that. But I'm hoping and we're going to advocate that they become even more transparent on the whole life side. The yeah. good news is, is that while it's not quite as open and clear, not quite as transparent on that side, we do have this unbelievable 200 year track record right. that shows us what we can expect. So, so, you know, you, you take the, the pros and the cons. Okay. So Rob, here's what I want to do. First, I want to lay out really quickly what some of the kind of primary um, promises that we're making or, or what we're saying the life insurance strategies we're teaching will do for people. Right. Yep. Um, what are some of those? And then I want to get into, I want to read an email. Uh, uh, it's the framework of an email that we recently got. And we get an email like this every, you know, maybe six months or so, something like that. We have, mm -hmm. we have over a thousand clients across the country. So it's not uncommon. Uh, we don't get them frequently, but here and there we'll have people basically wanting, I don't know, a refresher or basically, or a deeper dive on yeah. how we're actually getting there. So they might look at their statement and be like, okay, guys, I hear what you're saying and I believe you, but I'm just not quite sure like how this, what I'm hearing, how is it reflected? How do I that? connect the dots? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well said. How do I connect the dots? Okay. So today our hope is that we can connect some of those dots and we're going to use an actual client um, email framework to help us get there. Okay. So let's, let's start with those primary things that we're telling people can happen by using either the investment optimizer or the retirement accelerator capital avalanche. Okay. Yep. First is the 5% return. Um, we always say that we can get a 5% plus return. We actually think that will, that's going to be easier for us than ever in the next, over the next few years as interest rates go up. Um, we'll probably have to increase that, but the good news is, is it's been steady for a long time. We're going to show how even with costs, the net is that, right? So yep. that's probably what I should say, 5% as a net return um, yep. over the life of the policy. Okay, the second one is the tax-free withdrawals. Want to make sure that we people understand um, how we can suggest that by doing XYZ, you can take tax-free withdrawals, tax-free loans. We're going to explain in a little bit more detail how that component works, um, and basically what it looks like over the life of the policy. We're going to get in maybe briefly, maybe not a lot, but briefly into retirement income. That'll go in conjunction with the tax-free withdrawals. We're going to talk about, this is a big one, how we actually create the value in two places at the same time. You know, and, 
And really all of these things are going to be playing out as we go through kind of our breakdown of the numbers. Mm -hmm. We're going to hit on the overloan protection rider, which most people won't have any clue what that is based on the name. They will. They will in a moment, in a few minutes. So overloan protection rider. And then the last one we're going to hit on is the chronic illness rider or the LTC rider that is is another huge value proposition. Now, Absolutely. one caveat, Rod, before uh, before I'm getting ready to turn you loose here, one caveat is we're primarily using the company that we use most commonly, mm-hmm. right? So if you're a client of ours, um, this company has been kind of our first line company for the last, you know, almost decade now, right? So chances are you're working with one of our, I mean, you're going to be working with one of the couple of companies we really love. Uh, but here we're talking about kind of our core company and we're happy to go into more detail. If, if you're feeling like, okay, I'm not sure if this fits, if I have a different company, then let us know and we'll get into more detail. But Absolutely. this is going to be the 95% of the people who work with us are going to fit into this category. Is that fair? Yep. Absolutely. And okay. but like you said, the principles that we're going to show are are applicable across the board. So regardless, yeah, of yeah, great point. The company, whatnot, uh, and and again, it part of it comes back to you'll you'll see it in this email is just we're using life insurance products, but using them in a different way than most people use life insurance. And so when you get a statement, when you're looking at your on, online portal, and again, you're trying to connect those dots between what we're saying and what you're seeing that's what this is all about is to help clarify those things. Well, and can I just tell people like the life insurance companies themselves struggle a little bit to toe this line. They very much want to promote life insurance, living benefits as Mm -hmm. a retirement tool, as a chronic illness tool. Like they do that. They have literature for all of these various ways of, Mm -hmm. of promoting. But then on the other hand, they want to make sure that they cover their bases and make sure people know that it's a death benefit product. Right. So they're kind of towing this line and we kind of have to tow it with them. Yep. But again, here, we're just going to kind of peel the layers back. Okay. So Rod, why don't I, why don't I re- read the email? Okay. And since you're going to be taking over, um, we'll let you save your voice for a second and then I'll okay. let you jump in to answer yep. and respond to our very thoughtful client. Okay. So we had a thoughtful client write in and this is basically what he wrote. We've made some very minor modifications. He says, Rod, can you tell me what the dividend amount I received this year is? I'm trying to understand how much money I have put in as paid up additions over the years versus what I'm seeing as a dividend. I believed the base premium would go primarily to fees, but the dividend would be paid in full. I don't see how the dividend matches up with my accumulated value. Basically, I want a much deeper dive into the fee structure. Okay, so he's really just saying exactly what we said, right? Mm -hmm. He's like, okay, I get it. I've heard it. We've talked about this, but but I I'd like to actually see like put the math together for him. that's the thing I always talk about. There's it's math. We're gonna show the math. Um, yeah. Okay, finally he says, sorry for the long email, but I want to precisely understand my financial decisions. Why is the dividend amount smaller than expected? Smaller than I expected. Please help me understand and thank you in advance for your assistance. Okay, so Rod, where do you want to start with this? Well, let's start with the context for where he is. So his policy anniversary had just come and gone. He's now looking at his statement. He's seeing, okay, this is what your cash value is. This is how much you earned in dividend, et cetera. And and then he's trying to to make that correlate with what we have talked about, right? Yep. And he's been a client for a couple of years. So it's not 
new and and in some ways i i you kind of get the the feeling coming across that there's a little bit of frustration in terms of i i really should understand this by now but i just don't help me i think that's totally fair and and i will say this some people like fall into different camps like one camp is some people just don't care to get into the Mm nitty-gritty on this and they the the most important element for them is to know that they're working with trusted people that are telling them truthful, accurate things. And that's yep. good enough. But then there's another layer of people who there's this other layer of people who really want to get into the details, but like maybe haven't yet. And mm-hmm. then there's this one who's like, I've really got to get this down. Yeah. And yeah, trust, but verify. We want to, thing, right? yeah, trust, but verify. So this is, that's a great way to say it. We're going to verify today. Okay. Keep going, Rod. Awesome. Okay. So let's start with uh, our baseline illustration. So often we well, not often. We use illustrations. That that's the the way that we communicate to people. If you're putting in X amount, this is how you can expect for it to grow over time. And so, for for our example today, I'm actually going to share my screen here. So, if you're listening to this and you want to instead jump over to to YouTube and and watch it, great. You'll you'll see. I'll try to be as descriptive as possible so that even if you are just listening, then then you'll still be good. And I'll try to, while Rod's being descriptive, make sure that he's not overly descriptive so as to put any of us to sleep. <laughs> Good. Uh, good, but good. We'll do. We'll 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 try to uh, balance between those two things. Yeah, that's why we're both here. Okay. So, but the first thing what I want to do is show the breakdown because when you look at an illustration, you'll see a premium column that shows how much money you're putting into it, and then over to the right, you'll see a cash value column that shows how you what you can expect as far as the cash value growing. Well, there are a lot of things that happen between those two numbers, right? You put your money in. And so what I'm showing on the screen is I'm showing someone having put pay. This is on a, an IUL to begin with, but they put $100,000 into the policy. And at the end of the year, in that cash value column, it's showing 83308 as the end of year cash value. Okay, great. That's usually all people see. What we've done is, is we've produced a, a policy charges uh, ledger as well so that you can see year to year what the charges look like and what the interest credit looks like as well. So, cause basically what happens is this person put in their hundred thousand and then immediately there were costs that came off the top. Now, Rod, really quickly quick yeah. plug here. The example that we're going to be showing that we're showing here is a fully optimized. In other words, it's minimum cost, maximum cash. This mm-hmm. is basically towing the modified endowment contract line. And if you recall, that modified that modified endowment contract line is critical for us to stay under inside of a banking policy type policy inside of the investment optimizer because we want to maintain the critical tax benefits. So, but this one is completely optimized to make sure that we're paying as little cost as we possibly can while still staying under that modified endowment contract line. Perfect. Yep. And also to clarify, this is a 45-year-old male with a preferred health rating. Awesome. Okay. So he puts his hundred thousand in, uh, there's, there are these costs that would dry, drive the, the cash value or that initial money that actually goes into the cash value is going to be about 78,000 at the end of the year, based on what the index did, this is showing a $5,505 in interest credit to the account, which then gets him to, at the end of the year to the 83,308. Okay. Okay. And that's true. So again, we're, we're showing the IUL, but that's true. And the whole life side, you put the money in, there are costs that come off the top. Uh, it 
in this case, in, in the whole life side, it earns the guaranteed interest as we go throughout the year. That was one of the things I think that the that our client uh, wasn't seeing as he's looking at the statement, because uh, in this case with this company, they, they have a 3% guaranteed interest credit that, that you earn throughout the course of the year on a month to base, month to month basis, you get one twelfth of that guaranteed interest credit to your account. And at the end of the year, they're going to tack on the additional dividend, which in this case is a 2.75% dividend. But what happened is he was looking at his statement and it was showing, here's, here's the dividend. Here's what you earned. He's saying, well, you're telling me I'm earning 5.75, but here it's showing 2.75. What's, what's up? Why is it? Not quite 5.7. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Can I make one quick observation or point on this illustration in case anyone, for those people who are looking at it, um, while this isn't going to be a a huge emphasis, I just want to make sure that I answer your question. Since we're wanting to be as transparent as possible, you'll notice that we also have a cash surrender value. And that line is entirely uh, based on what's available to use. So, the difference between the policy value and the cash surrender value is what's available if I were to walk away from my policy and take the cash. And basically you can see here, and this is typical for an index universal life contract that it, this has about a 10, it looks like it has a 10 year surrender schedule mm-hmm. in that 10th year, the 1.93 uh, million is exactly the same in both columns. Yes. Yep. Okay. Good. Okay, cool. This is helpful. So the thing I like about this rod, like you said, is that it's just super easy to read. I can see, I put my hundred K in, these are my costs that are taken out. I get this interest credit. Here's what I'm left with. Simple, straightforward. I love it. Yeah. Awesome. And as I mentioned earlier, I, in the IUL product world, we can get this print out from the insurance company where it breaks this out. Ooh, I have a big question. This is part of the transparency movement. Okay. We're starting life insurance transparency movement. That's it. We're going to be the be advocates for that. Okay, Rod. So here's the deal. The question then, and I'll answer it, but the question that's going through my mind is, well, where the heck are those costs going? So I put the hundred thousand bucks in there, but you're mm-hmm. telling me I'm losing $22,000 and then I'm getting five. So I'm, I'm left with my 83,000. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. Uh, in the first year, uh, a good chunk of that goes to pay the compensation to the agents Mm -hmm. and then for the initial policy costs those are the primary two things that exist inside that first year um and uh, and i'm always happy to maybe i should have been prepared with this to go through like how we get paid and what we get paid we can do that on another one Mm -hmm. um but basically it's paying the advisors the agents and it's taking care of any initial administrative costs that exist inside the policy um, and that's what we're seeing and why we're seeing that initial cost happening in year one. Good. And then if you're looking at this and you're saying, well, what's, what does COI stand for? That's cost of insurance. So within what Christian was talking about that the insurance company is taking for kind of their purposes, part of that is administrative costs. Part of that is just purely paying for the insurance on the policy. Yep, exactly. Okay. okay good stuff. All right. So we talked about how with whole life, we don't have the same kind of visibility mm-hmm. into the costs. So we have had to kind of create our own uh, element of transparency as it Rob, relates That was to... super nice of you to say that we've done this because it was really you have done this. I mean, 
but thank you for uh, including me. So, yeah, and can I just tell you, I think this is incredibly helpful. It's ridiculous that whole life still doesn't just lay out the cost the same way that IUL does. But since we don't have it, we're going to make the most of what we do have yeah. and extract those costs. Yeah. Okay. Because because here's what we know. It's and it's what I described earlier. The hundred thousand goes in. There are costs that come off the top. The rest goes into the cash value where it then earns the interest over the course of the year. It gets the dividend tacked on at the end of the year. And so we end up with this cash value balance at the end. Well, our illustration shows us, we know we put the 100,000 in. Okay, that's a known number. We also know that we end up with 78,062 in this case for the whole life. And and what our dividend was that was tacked on at the end of the 12 mm, months. Okay, this is like a math equation. It's like uh, one of those when, when you were in like seventh grade, maybe, I don't know, fifth grade, where they just put a couple of little gaps in it. But if we put we put enough of those numbers in there, like we can get somewhere. Yeah, it's a story problem. Yeah, right? exactly. Okay. So uh, so what we can see when we back out of all of that and get back to it, then we see, okay, the 100000 went in. There was $26,268 of cost that came off the top. And 73731 is what landed in the cash value. Okay. And then over the course of the next 12 months, it earns interest in, in month one is 184. Okay. This is, this is, val this is valuable, Rod. I don't, I don't want to skim over this because okay. we get this question all the time. The interest credit is happening one twelfth, just happening month to month. Like mm -hmm. that's important. A lot of people are like, what's happening on this. The reason that that goes the way it does is because interest credit happens in one twelfth increments throughout the month so that at the end of the year you have been given the full 3% guaranteed interest over the course of the 12 months. Yes. And another reason why it, it is a little bit, I don't know, confusing or, or there feels like there's this gap as people are experiencing it is this doesn't get published anywhere. So you're used oh, to, point. you're used to getting a bank statement or something that says, Hey, your beginning balance was this and these things happened. And then you earned this interest and this is your end balance. Well, you don't get that with the insurance companies, right? Yeah, they're they're not, they're not publishing statement. They're they're publishing the three percent as the but they're not publishing the how they get to that number. Correct. Yeah, yeah. So if you look in your policy, you'll see, hey, your your guaranteed interest rate is this. But then if you're trying to look at it, you're looking at your statement and, and you're saying, okay, where does that show up? Well, it doesn't. So that's why we're we're kind of doing that's one of the reasons we felt like this but, exercise is really helpful. And and but that this is important. Like this is exactly what's happening. So if you were to break it down and see like in month seven, it, taking these numbers, this is exactly what would be happening. Mm -hmm. So while we're like, while it doesn't show that, we do know principally that these are the things that are happening. So we just have to find the right numbers to fit those. Yep, exactly. And then in this example, $2,088 in a dividend at the end of the year gets us to the, the end value of 78,062. Okay. And how okay. did you know the dividend number? Explain that Rod. Uh, that also shows up in the illustration. And that shows up as an actual dollar figure. Yes. So we don't even and, have to calculate that number. Yep. And to build off what we just talked about, that's why it gets confusing because they separate that, out, that number out and that number does show up in your statement. Yeah, so they're again, excited client, to publish the dividend, but yeah. they're not publishing the guaranteed interest in terms of the actual numbers of what's been credited to your account. Other right. than that, it shows up as the, in the in the total number at the end of the year. 
Yes. So it's kind of bizarre. They could clean that up. It would make yeah. everyone's life a lot easier. Much, much easier. Yep. Okay, good. I think this is helpful. So now we've talked about at least kind of the primary costs that exist inside of um, whole life and IUL. There's probably a few uh, cost-related things we want to make sure we touch on, um, but this is a good starting point. Yeah, and one one often one question we often get is, well, how can I guard against cost as it keeps going up, right? So if if I'm paying for this cost of insurance every year as I get older, doesn't that get more expensive? And the answer is yes. And depending on what kind of research somebody did before they asked that question, if they were reading information from an IUL hater, that it's the, the, <laughs> the whoever was writing that article was throwing IUL under the bus. If they were reading something that was from a whole life hater, then they were throwing whole life under the bus and telling you, well, what about all this increase in costs over time? It, it It's the same either way. Life insurance yeah. is life insurance. Cost of insurance goes up either way. Can I just tell you, this to me is a baffling thing. Anybody that has like this overwhelmingly strong um, belief that either IUL or whole life is like the only way to go, that it to me just shows that they don't actually understand what's happening inside of these policies, mm -hmm. because then you could you could very easily see what the value proposition is for both situations and make a an educated decision. Yeah. So it's it's bizarre to me, but and can I just tell you from my early part of my career seeing those kind of organizations, it's usually hype, right? Somebody right. at the head decides this is my mission, I'm going to be a whole life guy or I'm going to be an IUL guy and then the whole organization becomes that and the whole focus is on trying to build and build that up and then, you know, throw the other one under the bus. There's yeah. really no reason to they both have pros and cons. Our job is to make sure you understand what those are. Yeah. And in this example that we're looking at here with the IUL, we're basically paying for a million and a half of insurance on, on the policy, right? About 1.6. And as you look at that cost of insurance column, we're continually paying for 1.6 million. In other words, if you calculate the death benefit, what's happening is, is as the cash value grows, the death benefit grows as well dollar for dollar. So 1.6 million for the 45, 46 year old is 27.95. 10 years later, it's 37.56. 10 years later than that is 85.75. It keeps going higher. And as you can imagine, when the person gets later into their 80s and 90s, it's getting quite high. Uh, at age 85, it's 73,337. But the thing I want to point out that that uh, is left unsaid often in those critical uh, articles is what is the cost relative to the death benefit or sorry, excuse me, to the cash value, right? The cost relative to the cash value is, which is where you're earning your interest. If we go back to that original $2,795 relative to a cash value of 83,308. Okay. Well, later, even when it gets to be a large number, that $73,000 uh, of cost in that year, well, that's relative to a cash value of $16,501,000. So as a percentage, it's actually lower, much, yeah, much that lower. That is interesting, than, much than lower than started. what it is early. Right. So that's again, that again goes back to the whole structure thing. If you're building, yep. if you're working with people who build your policies to minimize cost and maximize the cash value, that's going to put you in a place where, where again, even though the costs go higher, that's okay. 
Yeah, and that is it's almost it's almost a misnomer to say that the costs go higher. The costs built in the way that we build this, the costs actually reduce over time, mm-hmm. right? Because again, the cost has to be correlated directly to the cash value, and so while the end number might be higher, the percentage that's being charged is actually lower. Absolutely. Yep. Okay, that's a really important point. I'm glad you made that uh, mm-hmm. emphasis, Rod. Uh, okay, so we a couple of things that I want to just make sure that we hit on, Rod. I'm going to ask you these ones. Let's see if we want to go to those or yep. if we want to go to those later. But some of the costs that I wanted to make sure we hit on is uh, load fees as it relates. This is, this is, I guess, for both sides. But I was thinking specifically in whole life insurance and the investment optimizer. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to make sure that we hit on that, that uh, difference between, well, basically the spread that happens in the first 10 years of a policy when a loan is taken, um, the cost that the insurance company charges. And then uh, I think we've talked about initial costs pretty well. We've talked about cost of insurance. So those are the other two and you might have something else, but those are a couple of, so where do you want to start as it relates to the, as it relates to those two things? Yeah. Let's hit on the, on the loan side. Um, And this is specific to whole life in the investment optimizer. Like you said, when, when we take a loan, uh, we've talked about the difference between direct recognition and non-direct recognition. We've we've done a, a podcast on this. You can go back and, and learn more about that uh, if, if you don't already have that context. But basically, the difference is if I have a direct recognition policy and I take a loan against that with the insurance company, the interest credit that I'm getting on the cash value, the portion of the cash value that's acting as collateral the interest credit I'm getting there is directly linked to the interest I'm paying on the interest rate that I'm paying on the loan. Okay. A direct link. If the interest rate I'm paying on the loan goes up, then the interest credit I'm getting on the collateralized portion of the cash value goes up and vice versa, right? If it goes down, then, then it goes down. So it's directly linked. And each company that is a direct recognition company decides how they're going to manage that in terms of, of, is it a direct link, uh, et cetera, right? So with the primary company that we use, uh, this is a common question, with direct recognition, does that mean that I'm in a worse place than I would be if it was non-direct? Because on the non-direct side, the interest that I earn in my cash value when I have a loan doesn't change. It's the same whether I have a loan against my policy or not, right? It's the, the guaranteed interest in the dividend. So... What's interesting is that with interest rates going up, this has become more of a hot topic because uh, interest rates on the loans have gone up. And what happens if you have a loan against your policy, if the interest rates go up and you have direct recognition, you're actually now earning more in your cash value today than you were a year ago when interest rates were lower. Well, with the again, with the primary company we use, specifically what happens is during the first 10 years, whatever interest rate you're paying on the loan minus 0.65 or 65 basis points tells us how much interest you're earning on the portion of the cash value that's collateralizing. So a year ago, you were paying 5% on that loan. So you were earning 4.35% on the cash, again, that collateralized portion. Today, the company's charging 5.7%. So you're earning 5.05%. Again, it moves directly and 
exactly with the changes in the loan rate. Okay, Rod, pull out your whiteboard, would you? Um, because I think it would be helpful to do just a quick number, like show some actual numbers and say, okay, let's say that this is the money I have inside my cash value. Here's money I have on loan and then determine how much each of those is actually going to be earning in interest. Yeah. Because that's, and again, that's what people are trying to understand is like, what's the impact of having a loan outstanding on my rate of return, right? Yeah. Uh, before we do that though, I just want to say this as it relates to direct and non-direct recognition. Um, one of the reasons that we really like um, our, the primary company we're using and they are direct recognition. One of the, one of the reasons that we feel so comfortable with that is because in that scenario, direct recognition works across basically all market situations, right? Because the worst case scenario is I'm paying that 0.65% spread. That's mm -hmm. the cost of using that money, using the insurance company's money. Um, but that could be, it could go completely upside down in a situation like today where loans have gone up, but my return isn't anywhere near that at this point, right? Mm -hmm. So I might be getting 5% on my policy and paying 8% on a loan. Well, I don't, I don't want to get money from that place if that's the case. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I just wanted to kind of emphasize that. Now, I don't want to suggest that there's no value in non-direct recognition. I do, certainly think it can be used um, in a powerful and meaningful way, but you know, there's pros and cons. And that's why we always go back to our primary, the kind of deciding factor is the cash value growth rather than kind of these extra things because they won't make up for that kind of core component. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. I went on a little bit of a tangent. No. And, and maybe just to build on that, we have to be really clear on that because there are a lot of people out there who would say you only ever want non-direct policies. The purists. Yep. The infinite banking purists will say that. Um, and if if you take that tack, then you're just giving you're you're leaving a whole bunch of money on the table because in the direct recognition products companies, you just can't get as much cash value as you can in with the direct recognition company right now. It's yeah, it's, it's interesting. Just, it is what it is. It's very dramatically different in the cash value side. So, so any potential value, which again is is speculative. Right. Because mm -hmm. we don't mm -hmm. know if there will be value. And again, like right now, there's not. But but even if that's the case, we don't know what the actual value of that ends up being. OK, cool. Um, okay. Let's move on. But let's move back to this uh, kind of correlation on numbers so that we yeah. can say, OK, let's say. I, oh, OK. Let's see the numbers, Rod. I'll let okay. you lay them out for us. So just use a really round number. Let's say you have in your cash value one hundred thousand dollars. OK. And you want to take a $60,000 loan to go and invest it in a syndication or anything else. Okay. Create cash okay. value, kind of create that flow. When you do that and you're doing it inside of a direct recognition policy, which let's say it's it's the one we talked about a minute ago, it's currently charging 5.7% on the loan. Your 100000 all stays in your policy and continues to grow. The rate at which it grows has now a little bit different. The 40000 that is not collateralizing the loan is continuing to earn the guaranteed interest and dividend, just like it did before. No change. Yep. The 60000 that is still in the cash value but is now collateralizing your loan, the interest that it's earning is directly linked 
to the interest rate that you're paying on the loan. So during the first 10 years, if you're paying 5.7 minus the 65 basis points means I'm earning 5.05 on that 60,000 that's collateralizing the loan. Once I get past that point in my policy, I get to year 11 and beyond, then it's a wash. Whatever I'm paying, so if I'm paying 5.7, I'm also earning 5.7 on that collateralized portion of the cash value. Perfect. Okay. I think this is tremendously helpful for people to understand. Yeah. And and like I mentioned, as as that and interest rates, like if interest rates keep going up and all of a sudden instead of 5.7, we're paying six, seven, eight percent. Well, there's a direct correlation. If I'm paying eight, I'm earning 7.35. People say, well, is there a cap? Well, no, if I'm paying, but there's not a cap on the interest rates. Like it's directly linked to a, a Moody's bond index. That's how the inter- insurance companies decide how much interest they're charging in any, any given time. But if all of a sudden they're charging 15, well, you're earning 14.35 on that portion of the cash value. So, so, so- that direct recognition is amazing, especially in a high a rising interest rate environment. Yeah, I'm I'm glad you make that point because one of the things that I think we're seeing people um formulate in their heads as it relates to policies is gosh, interest the interest rates associated with my life insurance policy are going up, is that a good place to take loans? Mm-hmm. Well, here's what we're telling you. It's a fantastic place to take loans because if you understand what's happening and that's what we're showing here, the most you could possibly be paying is that 0.65%. So mm-hmm. if your policy is in year one through 10, but but think about it, where could I go get money for 65 basis points, right? Right. But ultimately that's what's happening. So, so like you said, in a rising interest rate environment, having a direct recognition policy is way more practical and useful because if you think about it the other way, right? Like it would be really hard to, have the desire to use to take an 8% loan when I'm earning five. Absolutely. As an example. Okay, cool. I thought this was super helpful, Rod. Uh, And can I throw one more thing out there? Just a, a, another gem that, that I think people don't realize that that is really kind of cool when an insurance company, when, so you put your money in your policy and you want to go take a loan against that. When they are telling you how much you have available to take as a loan, they're actually projecting the year end, value cash value balance to calculate your the loan available loan amount you have so uh we often say you know you can get around 95 percent of what you have in your cash value but then what often happens is if i'm if i'm only in month two or something of my policy and i go look at it it's often actually like really close like oh i have whatever ninety two thousand in my policy and they're offering me ninety two thousand for for a loan man that's a lot more than i thought and that's why (laughs) because they're projecting they're saying well by the year end you will have earned and and the the value will be higher so we're we're offering the loan amount based on that future yeah that's a great point and that can be confusing for people okay rod did we um did we adequately articulate how we're getting to our internal rate of return I want to do one last thing with that. Okay. Um, because in the example um, that, that we've done, we, we showed the 45-year-old, right? Okay. Okay. And, and what was the IRR that we were showing on that? Oh, or, let, or yeah, what's me, the estimated IRR? I don't know if we showed it or not. Yeah. I'm going to bring it up here real quick. Uh, if I Perfect. go to the, this is the actual uh, illustration are. for the whole life policy. And as, as we know, like at the initial 
IRR, if I'm focusing on cash value, we don't have as much in our cash value as we initially put in. So it's a negative IRR. By year six is where we start to turn positive, And then each year it gets better. And just to clarify, when you look at year 10 and it says 3.22% IRR, that's 3.22% uh, annualized return every year for 10 years. Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not, not just in that finally earned. Yeah, exactly. Right. Because really what would happen is once you once you got past those first two years, really, you're going to see a much you're going to see it act a greater return. But a lot of it's doing the work to overcome the negative return in the first year. Right. Right. Exactly. So okay. um, but then it, again, it keeps it keeps getting better because our costs were higher in those first couple of years. They went lower. Uh, and I'll, I'll go back and show that again here in a minute, how, how that happens. But if we, if we kind of scroll down and project to kind of life expectancy, then we're, we're leveling out at about a 4.71% IRR for this 45 year old. Okay. So again, like I talked about earlier, it's based off of a 5.75 total. And we've consistently talked about how it's about a 1% net cost. So 4.71 is, is in line with what you'd expect. And then like Kristen talked about earlier, as interest rates are going up and our expectation is that will drive dividends higher as the dividend goes higher. Well, your IRR will reflect that as well. Yeah. And that is an important point because even if I have an IRR expectation, I go in with it today, like this isn't saying this is what's going to happen, Mm -hmm. right? This is what's saying, this is what would happen if things stayed exactly as they are today. Now, we can very clearly see that interest rates have are uh, moving have have moved upward, and life insurance companies tend to lag a little bit. But my yeah. expectation is that by even next year, we'll we're likely to see them increase the dividend rate associated with policy. And of course, once they do that, that will um, increase the overall return of the policy and the IRR, and you know the speed at which it um, overcomes cost and all those things. Absolutely. Good. Okay. So let's get back to uh, what we're looking at here. So earlier I showed um, as a subset of this, I showed the, what happens when you put the hundred thousand in, it takes the cost off, you earn the interest, you earn the dividend at the end of the year, you have the 78,000, right? Then what I did is I, I brought, I aggregated those over the course of 10 years. Okay, so that shows in year one, you put the 100,000 in, you end up with the 78,062. Well, in year two, your costs aren't as high, right? So in year one, our costs were about 26,000. In year two, it's about 23,000. And then by year three, the costs drop significantly. It's about half that, about 12,000 is the cost on that in year three. And 10,000 in year four, 8,000 in year five. And then it goes up a little bit. Now, this is where kind of that cost of insurance effect kicks in as I get older. But uh, so in year six, 11,000. In year seven, 12,000. Anyway, my point is that we pay higher cost in those first couple of years than we will later. And secondly, the compounding growth of our, of our account, of, of the, just the cash value as it's growing, uh, takes hold. So if you look here on the far right, you'll see similar to what we just saw on the IRR projection. Um, we're, we're behind what we put in in the first initial years. By year six, now we break ahead and then each year gets better and better. Right? We're, we're more further and further ahead of what we put in as time goes on. 
Well, and yeah, and it becomes powerful. Like we're looking at year 10 as an example. I put in a hundred thousand and I know when I put in that hundred, that 100,000, I'm going to get $184,000 back. Mm -hmm. And of course, if, when I do that the next year, it's going to be even more significant and it continues to be that way. And so life insurance, um, as we were trying to help kind of people see the costs, if built in the way that we're talking the way that we focus and are showing here, the costs actually reduce over time. Mm-hmm. The policy becomes more efficient and we generate higher returns as it goes on. So the best like life insurance that's mature is as amazing as a financial vehicle as you can get anywhere, just because the cash value is completely liquid. The costs are in your rear view mirror and it's just completely efficient. So anyway, really cool. I, I love seeing that. It gets me excited for my own policies when I think, hey, look, I'm I'm in about year 10 on some of these my policies. So yeah. I'm going to be when I put money. Here's the thing. I know I'm biased, but I actually get excited about putting money in my policy now. But I didn't so much in the first year or two. But later, yeah. as I was like, oh, I put this money in. I get that. This is a win. Yeah. And if so if you're listening to this and you're in year two or three of your policy and you're thinking, man, this isn't feeling as good as I would hoped it would, it gets like you're you're at the at the lowest point uh, as it relates to that, because it's just going to get much, much better from here. And, and hopefully this helps you see it kind of breaking out the numbers in this way. Yep. This is good. OK. Okay, And then as one last thing I mentioned earlier, yep. um, this is our 45 year old. Well, we're often approached by people in their 50s or even their 60s. And they say, well, what about me? Cost of insurance. Uh, Rod, it's bigger. too late. Yeah, is can can it even make any sense? Probably, it probably won't. I'm too old. Insurance costs. I don't want to mess with that. Okay. And my explanation is always this: uh, Yes, it's going. The costs are going to be higher. That that's a true statement. However, most of the money we're putting in these policies, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the money we're putting in these policies is overfunding. So there is the core insurance we have to pay for. And that's why the costs are, are higher. I got to start this again. I got to clear my throat. And I would focus more on um, uh, I would focus less on the like the costs are higher. And mm-hmm. I mean, I know that they're high, but like, well, don't worry about it. Just do your thing. <laughs> okay. okay. So here's how I explain that to people. Uh, While costs may be higher, most of the money going into the policy is is going to grow your cash value the same whether you're 35 or 45 or 55. It's overfunding. It's going in there. It has the same load on it no matter what your age is. And so the the actual part that matters as it relates to age is very small. And let's just kind of show how this works. So Rod, I love the answer that I've heard you give, I've seen emails go back and forth. And basically your response is like, great question. Let's see. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's what we're going to show here. We're just going to say, that's a fair question. Is, is it having a massive impact by being older? Well, let's just run and see, see what happens. Yep. Yep. So let's, let's focus on two numbers. The first one I want to focus on is there our end of year one cash value. So a hundred thousand goes in. And as we've been talking about this 45 year old or end of end of year cash value is about 78,000. Okay. If I bring up our 55-year-old, your 100,000 goes in, our end of year one cash value is about 74,000, okay? So is there a difference? Yes. 
is it very significant? No, because especially if you compare it to like term insurance, if you look at term insurance for a 45 year old versus a 55 year old, your costs go up about probably 50, 60%. In other words, a, a 55 year old starting a 10 year term policy is going to pay 50% more in, in premiums than the 45 year old did. Right. So the relative difference is, is really small, but it, but the relative difference gets even smaller as time goes on. So if we jump down to year 10, so a hundred thousand go has gone in for the, over the course of the 10 years, this is our 55 year old. The cash value at the end of year 10 is a million 147,000. Okay. For our 45 year old, the end value is a million 184,000 difference of about $37,000 at the end of 10 years on, on that million going in. So, uh, again, is there a difference? Yes. Is there a meaningful difference to me? It's not, it's not a meaningful difference. Like the, the 55 year old getting in and taking advantage of what the investment optimizer has to offer is getting tons of value, right? Yeah. There's so much more benefit than that. So even though it's not, there's the benefit isn't quite to the extent of if I were 10 years younger, mm -hmm. the fact is, is that the alternative of not doing it doesn't make any sense because it's right. so much better than that. Correct. Yep. Right. Okay. This is good. Um, Rod, really quickly, let's just maybe have a quick conversation around the, the tax elements and how we pull money out of a policy, those kind of things. So yeah, we're not going to get into a ton of detail, um, but I want to make sure that people understand, like, again, the basics of how life insurance works and some of the things that maybe the more common um, intricacy questions that we get. So one of them is how can I actually pull money out of a policy tax free? Um, and I'll hit on this and then you can fill in any details if I miss. Okay. So, so basically there's two ways that money can come out of life in, a life insurance contract. It can come out as a withdrawal or it can come out as a loan. Um, when we get into this like retirement income phase, we're strategically putting it together. We're strategically creating a plan to bring money out. And normally this could change depending on what we're doing, but normally what we would be doing is we would initially take withdrawals to basis is what they say is what it's called. Um, and what that means is that I'm taking withdrawals up to the amount that I originally put in. So if I put a million dollars in, I can take a million dollars back out of that contract without any tax implication. Life insurance is taxed on a first in, first out basis. So then next, what we do is once we've gotten to that point, if we were to continue to take withdrawals, okay, so let's go back to our numbers. Let's say I have a million dollars of uh, that I've put in, but there's $2.5 million of cash value in the, in the contract. In a situation like that, let's say that I continue to take withdrawals. Well, then I would be taking, those would be taxable withdrawals. Instead, what we're going to do is we then move to, instead of taking withdrawals, we take loans. So, and this goes back to all of the things that we talk about when we're using the investment optimizer to create value in two places. That means that our cash is staying uh, that we're actually using the money, the bank's money, our cash is staying there, right? Um, okay, so generally speaking, though, when we move to that point, we're just maximizing what we can take out of it. Well, the reason that this all works and, we're, and we can confidently say that you can use this as like a tax-free retirement income vehicle as well is because life insurance is unique in that 
the the loan can be paid off and is paid off by the death benefit. So to the extent that I have a death benefit in place, it doesn't matter what my loan is. The death benefit will come in, pay off the loan. Whatever's left over will then go to the beneficiaries of the policy. But that's kind of the the framework of what's happening inside of this retirement income phase. And that's why we're able to put money in. We've, we talk about often about how it's like a Roth IRA on steroids. We're putting money in after tax. And by doing it that way, um, we can take money out of it, retirement income out of it, and never have to pay taxes on it. Did I cover it? Yep, you did. And maybe one last piece to, to just clarify on that. When that death benefit pays out, life insurance death benefit is income tax free. Yes. So you have an income ta- tax-free dollars that are coming out and those are what's paying off that loan that you took. So that's why it kind of completes that cycle where yes. you were able to take all of that out income tax-free. And in that example you gave, you said, well, if it's 2.5 million in, in the policy and someone says, well, how much can I reasonably take out? Well, the fact is you could take as much as you want, right? It's your money. It's, it's liquid. You can yeah. take it. But that 2.5 million at the 5%, that, that represents about 125,000. If you took 125,000 out, all you took was the growth. The 2.5 million is still there, continuing to generate growth. You can basically take 125 in perpetuity. Or if you took more, you said, well, I'll take 175 or I'll take 200 a year. And and you're kind of like spending down the value as time goes on. And so you might say, well, between whatever age 65 and 90, I'm going to take this you know, X number, no realizing that I'm spending it down and and I won't be able to do that forever. But the fact is you can take more than the 125 if you choose. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, And one of the things that's nice about the way life insurance works is they work off of illustrations and ledgers. So it's very easy for us to actually show people what the what they can expect based on like the current um, the the, what's currently happening inside the policy in terms of interest rates and loan rates and things like that. Okay, before we close up, Rod, uh, two things. Can you just hit on for us the overloan protection rider, which goes in conjunction with this retirement mm-hmm. income conversation and the long-term care rider that we often talk about. And this will be good because we mentioned it recently on a podcast. And when we did well, on that podcast with Buck, we've had multiple people uh, message in and say, does my policy have that? Mm-hmm. So great questions. Hit on those two things. Yeah. So the overloan protection rider uh, and again, it is perfect in conjunction with this conversation around retirement income because I talked about how important it is that we have this death benefit, this tax-free death benefit that comes in at the end of the day to pay off the loan. Well, if someone were to take so much of that income out of there that they drove the cash value down so that, or again, it's take, we're, take, we're using loans, but if the cash value balance ever gets to be equal to the loan balance, then the company the insurance company basically just calls a loan. They don't want to ever become upside down on it. So they'll call the loan, take from your cash value, pay off the loan. The policy goes away. There's no tax-free death benefit to pay out. Well, when that happens, what happened was they took the growth of your cash value to pay off your loan. Essentially, you took a withdrawal of all that, that growth, right? Christian mentioned earlier, if you if you end up taking more than what your basis was as a withdrawal, you start paying tax on that. Well, now just a big chunk of that growth came and was used to pay off that loan. So you would actually get a, a big tax bill if that happened. Okay. So what uh, several companies have done, again, our, this primary company in particular, 
on the whole life and IUL, they have this overloan protection rider, which basically is like a safety valve. And it says if your loan balance ever gets to be 99% of what your cash value balance is, then it forces it as a reduced paid up policy to and basically makes it so that it never gets to that point where the where it would lapse, where, where the cash value equals the loan balance. Um, so that we know when you die, regardless of how much longer you live, when you die, the death benefit will pay off that loan with the tax-free dollars. Hmm. Yeah, well said. And I think th- this is really critical because one of the, maybe the skeptics out there who would say that, oh, life insurance is exclusively to create a death benefit. What they would say is maybe, well, if you do that, you're running this risk of taking what what, what people kind of framed as phantom income, right? Mm-hmm. Income you're getting, but you don't actually see it because you've just been using it as for whatever reason along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, this eliminates that entirely. So you don't have to worry about that concept. We love this. We just put this on every single contract that we write. So if you're with us in any way, shape or form, you have the uh, overloan protection writer on your policy. Yes. Um, okay, Rod, finally, finish this off with a quick overview of how the chronic illness writer works, and then yeah. uh, we'll wrap this thing up. Sounds good. So chronic illness writer is a way that they can uh, help you pay for long-term care types of expenses. But what they're doing is they're using the death benefit for that. In other words, they're taking a portion of the death benefit so that you can use it while you're still living to pay for these long-term care types of expenses. And and to qualify for it, it's the same as, as long-term care. They have the what they call the six activities of daily living, which include feeding yourself, washing yourself, being mobile, et cetera. If you can no longer do any two of those, then you qualify for the benefit and you can you can receive it or, and or if you had some sort of cognitive impairment. That's how that, that works. Um, but it's a great benefit. It's there if you need it and you use it. Awesome. If you don't, well, that's just death benefit that goes to your heirs anyway. And so there, there's some benefit that's going to someone as a result of, of the money you've put into your policy. You know, it's really funny, Rod, on this one, that it's even like a, like a, a writer and not just an active part of the contract because mm-hmm. it only costs if you were to, to choose to use it. It's mm-hmm. not like it kicks in on its own. You have to actively choose to say, I want to use this writer privilege to get to accelerate death benefit while I'm living. It's yeah. one of those things where it's great to have it on the policy. And we just make sure, just like the overloan protection rider, we just put it on all of the policies across the board. So again, if you're listening to this and you're wondering, is my policy fit into this description? It absolutely does. Yeah, it does with two caveats. The first one is uh, when a policy gets to be large enough, then for whatever reason, they don't put it on there. I I can't understand the logic why they don't. But if Oh, are you talking specifically about the chronic illness rider? Chronic illness rider, yeah. Okay, because I want to differentiate. Yes, thank you. So the overloan protection rider across the board, the chronic illness rider has these two caveats. Yep. Number one, if if, uh, the death benefit is is too big, so more than 10 million, basically, then they say, well, we're not going to put the chronic illness rider on there. Again, I don't know why they wouldn't, but. Whatever. That's what okay. they do. And okay. then the second one is if you have convertible term and you're converting that into a permanent policy, a whole life policy, then at the time of, of the conversion, uh, there can be some underwriting to, to include okay. the chronic illness writer. But without that, then it doesn't 
automatically get added when it came through the conversion. But the, so those are the only two caveats. Everyone else has that chronic illness writer on their policies. Okay, Rod. Our objective today was to show like an ultra transparent view of what life insurance is. And um, it can be a little bit exhausting, but I think we, I think we dove in pretty well. So I like how it turned out. Um, if there's anything that we missed, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, Hey guys, this is great, but there's this other element that I'd love for you to hit on. Please let us know. We want to make sure that the people that work with us and really regardless, if, if even if you just want to understand how life insurance works, maybe you're thinking of working with someone entirely different, but you want to get a third party to just help validate some of the principles and ideas. Great. We hope this episode will be that for you. Um, that said, Rod, I thought it was fun and you did a nice job laying it out. Thanks. It was a good time. Okay. See you all next week. Thank you for listening to the Money Insights Podcast. To learn more about the financial and business strategies discussed in the show, please visit moneyinsights.net. The views and opinions expressed on the Money Insights Podcast are not intended to be individual financial, tax, or legal advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making financial decisions. And if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This will help others find the show and learn wealth building strategies for themselves. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll catch you in the next episode.